welcome to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scottish football teams in European competition. Armstrong, do Scotland have something else up their sleeve here? McTominay, if Dykes can get the flick on here, it's John McGinn, it's Dykes, it's McGinn! Welcome to the Scotland's Coefficient Podcast. This is episode 8, which is titled In Conversation with Rory Hamilton. My name is Gavin and I run the Scotland's Coefficient Twitter page, currently with over 27,000 followers. This week's episode is with Rory Hamilton, who is probably too young to be referred to as a legendary commentator. However, he's undoubtedly one of the best and most well-known in Scottish football. He kindly sat down with me for a fairly lengthy chat where we talk about how he got his big break in commentary and what his preparation looks like for upcoming games. We remember some of his favourite games that he's commentated on, including Celtic's home and away victories against Lazio in 2019, St Johnston's remarkable cup double in 2021, several of Rangers' incredible nights on the run to the Europa League final in Seville, and of course, some of Scotland's jaw-dropping performances in qualification for Euro 2024. We debate the performances of Scottish clubs and their aspirations in Europe, and we end with a chat about the national team's chances for this summer and how we both hope that the players grasp this huge opportunity. I'll just finish by saying my apologies that it's been a while since the last podcast, Following on from the Celtic and Aberdeen interviews that I did, I did have a Rangers theme one booked in after their win in Betis, but unfortunately I had to cancel at the last minute. As they are still in Europe, I'll be sure to book someone in over the next couple of months. As ever, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave it a five-star review, as that helps grow the podcast and reach more listeners. Thanks for listening and up to the coefficient. Hey, hi Rory, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, it's great to finally see your, your face, I've obviously heard your voice on a weekly basis for a few years, but it's good to meet you, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, and uh, it's very good to meet you as well, because I've been uh, digesting your tweets and uh, all the information that comes with them over the last few years, and uh, so it's really helpful and good to put a, a face to the tweets yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks very much for for helping me out. I suppose because you you're one of, along with probably Ian Crocker on Sky, you've got to be one of the Scottish commentators, the best known in the, in the whole of the UK. So I'm I'm really interested to know how did you get to that stage? So how did your career start? How did you get into football commentating? Um, yeah, so just tell me what, what's your story, Rory. You've got me a good time because the first half of the season was crazy, <laughs> which was just game after game after game. Uh, now the winter break has helped. So, um, yeah, well, uh, it goes all the way back, really, to uh, uni days. Um, so I'm going a long way back now, 20 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and I used to go in uh, on a Saturday to STV and just put their match interviews, post-match interviews up on their website. 
so I was just kind of locked away in a room and mm-hmm. you know you, you learned how to do the process and then you finished and, and you left and I think my pay was probably less than my train fare through from Edinburgh yeah. to Glasgow <laughs> to do it every weekend but you know it was it was one of those things that got you in the building um it allowed you to learn little bits about the industry and uh, and also I think one of the most important things is to build up trust with with people that are making decisions and and hiring people and and spotting potential talent uh, you know when, when I was doing that job or beforehand uh, I don't I didn't know that a commentator was a job you, you yeah. sit and you listen to to matches and and I loved Bill McLaren for example growing up but I never thought that that was a job. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's just, so it's someone just really, does it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not really until you get into the industry. It was more when, so from STV, I was, so I was working on Scott Sport and um, then went down the stairs. Jim Hel- Delahunt was, um, was was quite um, a big part in taking me down there after I was a sort of junior assistant producer mm. putting together highlights and things like that. So I went down the stairs to Satanta um and i think that was when i really realized that it it was a job because that was when satanta had the the rights uh, to the live spl games at the time i think they had 60 games but they also had a saturday program where they had a commentator out at every game and the commentator would come back and they'd do a report and then they'd come back with the tapes and a log of the game and give it to me to cut the edit of the game and yeah. that's when i thought Oh, these are actually guys, and they were going off to maybe do another job that evening. And I was like, "Oh, right, that, that is interesting. This is a job for normal people." Yeah. Um, and it really took it really took until uh, Satanta was great. That was a really good learning curve doing live live games um, as a I, I would as an assistant producer, and also doing uh, like VT coordin- coordinating, uh, which is it's basically picking the replays that go out, what goes out live, and you're sitting there the trucks are like a really pressure pot there's so much going on in there when you watch a game of football you you know you you think it all happens very smoothly it it can be really heated in there and you you've got to be really on the ball so I think that that's that's really helped me um when I've moved on to you know being behind a microphone that I know what a lot of the other roles within an outside broadcast entail because I've, I've been there before um so I also know that when because you, you hear it a lot, and you'll hear maybe a co-commentator say, "Oh, we can't see it from that angle." You'll never catch me saying that because I'm not going to stitch up the boys. Yeah, <laughs> someone's not giving you the right angle then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it kind of took Satanta going by the wayside at the time, mm. um, and I, I was forced to go freelance. Basically, um, I. Uh, I moved back up north to where my mum and dad lived and was commuting down um, from the Highlands every weekend to do a rugby programme, which was kind of the only work that I had at the time. And um, I think it was maybe week three or something on the rugby programme. that They were getting criticism for having it was a league that had Scottish, Welsh and Irish teams. And mm-hmm. we had Irish commentators, Welsh commentators, no Scottish. So they're getting criticism for that. So I just jokingly said in the meeting, Oh, maybe I'll. I could do the game. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, nothing will come of that. And then it came driving down the next Thursday, I think. Um, and Colin Davidson, the boss, phoned me and said, "You know, you, you made that comment in the meeting. Said, yeah, well, you're doing Edinburgh against Connacht on Friday night, so 
not live or anything, but you just you talk yeah. for the eighty minutes and they put highlights together for it. So, um, and from there, it just it just really snowballed and relatively quickly. That was probably twenty ten, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> Going freelance and a lot of the people that I'd worked with at Satanta were then in uh, jobs at Sky or ESPN. Then later on, so I I knew them all, so I could get. I had an in. Um, so Laurie-Anne Brown, she she looks after a lot of the reporters at Sky Sports News. So she sort of got me involved with Sky, mm-hmm. um, did more stuff because, because I could work as a, an assistant producer as well. So that allowed me to build up loads of shifts. I mean, I was doing probably 10 shifts a week for various different ones, but just Saturdays could be four. Saturdays wow. could be four. There was there was a couple a that did day. four shifts on the Saturday. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're eight in the morning until maybe two in the morning. So you give up friends' weddings, holidays, yeah. all sorts of things just for for years for those opportunities. Um, I remember actually it was it was one of my best mates' um, weddings, and I got the call on the Wednesday to ask if I could do my first Gillette Soccer Saturday game. So I was like, well, I mean, this is one of my closest friends. And I was like, I, I can't not do that. Yeah, because they'll never ask you again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's loads of people wanting to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, too good an opportunity. So I never never went to Rahul's wedding, unfortunately. <laughs> Don't know if he's forgiven me for it. Um, but yeah, and from there, it just it, it got a first chance. To, I was doing some stuff for the SPFL on their YouTube site. Um some Rangers TV and then got the opportunity to eventually do some sky games because I was, I was well in with them. I knew the office mm-hmm. really, really well. Um, really good people. And so it was kind of a natural fit because Ian Crocker would, would always you know do the games, but if they mm-hmm. had a Scottish cup double header, they used to like doing that on a Sunday and they'd have one game at say 12 o'clock and then the next game at two back to back they didn't have another Scottish voice. Yeah. Bill Leslie used to do a lot of the international games, but there wasn't another another voice. I know uh, Crocs is, is obviously English, but he's so well associated with the Scottish yeah, game. Yeah, he is. I think, he's, I think he's an adopted Scots, Scotsman by now. Um, so I would get the opportunity then to, to come in and do one of those games. Um, so that was really the first time that I got the chance to do live broadcast as our broth against Rangers in the Scottish Cup. Um uh, which yeah, I mean, fantastic. You can't um, you can't replicate a live environment. There's there's so nah. many games that you can either do for highlights or you know you can do your voice onto a, a tape. But there's nothing quite like you know the Q Q Rory or Q commentator. Yeah. Um, and nice suddenly your you. mic is live for the next forty five minutes and. Don't swear. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't swear. Don't muck it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, uh, and um, and it, it can only be live TV is a sink or swim uh, environment. Either either yeah. you do, or you don't, and and hopefully you've you've got some longevity. So it is, you know, Sky for for a good while that got me a really good base, and then I got the opportunity with BT Sport when Derek Gray left to. To move into that role, which was really that—that that was when I first felt that I could call myself a commentator. Yeah, that I wasn't scrambling about, you know, trying to do four shifts on a Saturday, which 
you know, if the first one was half an hour late, by the fourth one you were two hours late, and the, yeah, you know, that, that that can be tough, sort of tough lifestyle. Um, but to to then, I had an exclusive contract with BT. I could only work for them. I had fifty games to do in the year, and yeah. that was it. And I was like, right, suddenly, I'm a I am a commentator now. And I yeah, imagine yeah, that at that stage, imposter syndrome maybe wanes a little bit. You don't feel like you now feel you are a real commentator. It is your job. You can do this. Yeah, yeah. Turning up, uh, I think uh, other other times you can maybe imagine people sort of looking around like, oh, who's who's the guy doing the game today? Because <laughs> even even in those early days, I would I, I would maybe I think the first year I did something like eight, and you're like, right, this is great, and then. But then it would be ages until you'd get another opportunity. It might be six months. Yeah, and, and that that could be quite tricky to to not do a live game for six months and then yeah. suddenly, very early on in your career as well, it's um, it's not that easy. But um, yeah, to to do it every week, that was uh, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and so you've you've spoken a little bit about live being on live, and you, you essentially you can't make a mistake. You need to know this stuff inside out. How what's the preparation like for you in the in the lead up to the game? Is it days on ends of sort of reading stats and, and reading about the players you're going to be commentating on, or? Um, I, I I mean I would say it it's an ongoing thing in in life anyway because mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm naturally interested in what's happening I commentate on football and rugby so what you know, the first things that really I'll check in the morning when I get up and have my breakfast is what's going on in the yeah. world of football and you know I've always got certain sites up even be it Twitter to see you know what's going on all the time what's happening and so I guess in that sense you're always preparing for your, for your next game or or the one in mm-hmm. two weeks time um, just so that you've got an ongoing knowledge of of the teams that you're about to to talk about, um, I, I would always spend, I would say, a minimum of two days, a day and a half, when I actually get everything down on paper. Yeah, which is just like like you say, the stats, the the numbers behind everything. I wouldn't say I've got a particularly great memory, so I like to have as much written down as possible. Down, yeah, yeah, it's it's the way of. That I memorize things. Uh, you know, some people can can read it off a screen, and it's in. For me, it's it's write it down, and that that helps the process. And you know, it doesn't matter if if I've done, you know, say, well, recently I did, uh, you know, Rangers away to Betis on the Thursday night, and then had them in the Viaplay Cup final again on the Sunday. I still wrote that out helps. every card for every player, so I've I've still got the ones actually from the final. So that's. If it helps, that's what I do for every player okay, yeah. for each game. So, that, so yeah. there's Ryan Jack, and it's all it's all color coded um, with different things that mean things to me. Yeah, so uh, you you can know, most people can probably read out. that. Yeah, and it might not make sense, but I know that if something is in the color green, it relates to the opposition. So it might be appearances against the opposition. Uh, if it's in blue, it means current season. If it's red, it's something that's particularly of interest or recent yeah. uh, a story that's been in the paper or something like that so yeah. um, I do that for every player even if it, I've just done them I like to do it again even though I, the information's all often still the same it doesn't matter it's just part of the part of the process to get that on paper and then in my head and also then 
what I quite like. I mean, I, I admire the job that um, the presenters do, the likes of uh, Daryl and Emma and Connie do a great job. I don't like presenting quite so much because you can you can't hide. You can't you can't no. be silent. You know, if if, if you if you lose your tra- train of thought, then you're there and the camera's on you and there's nothing that you can do. Whereas in a game and commentating on it, you can sometimes give yourself that extra second. I mean, when, yeah. when the ball's pinballing about in the box and somebody flashes a header in, yeah, you want to be on it. But in general play, if you if you maybe have like a quite slip of your mind and you just want to check where it is in your notes, you can take that extra second. Yeah. Whereas they can't really do that. So yeah. just a different disciplines. So it's a great point. There's no camera on you, seeing you using your little cheat sheet, looking at. So how many years was it, Ryan Jack, Captain Aberdeen for again? And you, and then you've got that. Whereas a presenter just has to just has to go with the flow. So yeah, actually on that, um, you've been kind of famous over the last few years for some of the like the one-liners you've had when a team's doing well. So I remember when Celtic won in Rome. I'm sure you had a line about Rome being conquered by Celtic. Edward, can it get even better for Celtic? Here's Olivier and Cham to win the game. Oh, He's gone and done it. Olivier and Cham head over heels in the Olympico. Wow, wow, wow. Rome conquered. When um, Rangers went to Germany and they were... I think they maybe went, did they go 4-0 up or was it 4-1 up? And then you were on about 4-1 and it was Dreamland and Deutschland. Sets it up for Lundström! Oh, what a goal that is from John Lundström! Dormant are in the eye of a Rangers storm right now! They're in Dreamland and Deutschland! Earlier in this year, in this summer, um, Scotland and Norway, I can't quite remember. It was unbelievable in the Ullaval or something. These sort yeah. of lines that are now like, for the fans of those clubs or, or for Scottish fans, that's now like associated with that moment. Do you prepare these sort of, like what I would call a great line in advance or does some of it just come to you naturally during the match? Or is, or is there a lot of key things you have? Like if Rangers were to, to win tonight, in Germany, I've got this line ready, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that you can. I, I think it's something that I actually got asked in my interview for BT Sport. Right. Uh, when I went for that and they asked, um, so Martin Keegan was the producer, Grant Phillips, the exec producer, and asked if uh, if that was something that you would do. And I thought, no, 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 it all has to be off the cuff, which is true. But the more that I thought about it, I, I understood more what, what they were, why they were asking it. So say for something like a, a trophy lift, mm-hmm. you might, I wouldn't do it well in advance, but you might prepare something before the game. Yeah, to say because because that that has to be an outcome. Let's take the five play cup final. Rangers are going to lift the trophy, or Aberdeen are going to lift the trophy at the end. You might prepare one or two lines within that trophy lift celebration 
that you're going to use and the rest you might fill in with yeah. how the, the game panned out. You might leave some of it for just completely off the cuff. I think for in-game stuff, I think it, I think it's really obvious if you've prepared something. Uh, yeah. You don't deliver it with the same oomph, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. What I would say is that there have been some games where something has come to me during the game and I've thought, ooh, I wonder <laughs> if this develops and if this happens, yeah. maybe I could... So actually the, the Dreamland and Deutschland one came to me because uh, at halftime, Daryl, uh, they were doing a little tease to the break and they had one of the Rangers goals and Daryl said, oh, Rangers are in Dreamland in Germany. Mm. And I said, oh, that's good. But I know what. But it's not alliteration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, and the other one that that kind of came to me during the game was um, Celtic's home game with Lazio. Not this year. Was it four years ago? Yeah, in the Europa League. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the one in Rome. That was yeah. That would just be you know your mind's going a bit crazy and you're. I was trying to hold Chris Sutton back from running onto the pitch. I can imagine he would have been going ballistic, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the home game, um, I, I did a line about the Glaswegian Coliseum and I've looked back actually on my notes from that game and it must have got to about 75 minutes or something like that and it was 1-1, so Celtic had just got back into the game with Ryan Christie scored, I think. Got back into the game and you could start to feel something and, and you can feel an atmosphere. So this is why you can't just prepare something beforehand. You know, nah. the, the day before you turn up to the ground and I, I wrote down a few things and I, I'd written, I've seen all my notes and I've written Coliseum. I've scratched it out. I've written Glasgow Coliseum, scratched it out. And then I just felt like Glaswegian Coliseum. It doesn't rhyme, but it's close but enough it's, to kind of get away with it to, yeah. to work. Um, but then you're like, you can only use that if there's, you know, a last minute goal um, that really decides the game. And thankfully, Fraser Forster came up with a belt of a to mean that, you know, that it was the winning goal from Christopher Julian. But I would say, you know, so so there's aspects of that that you could say that it's a prepared light, but I, I wouldn't, it's not because it, it's your mind racing. Essentially, everything yeah. then is prepared because if you just leave it up to, what your brain tells your mouth to say, then you're gonna you're gonna stumble over things. And uh, Grant Phillips, that I mentioned before, his big thing to me when he hired me for BT Sport was get your big moments right. You get the big moments right. The other eighty nine and a half minutes, you you can afford a mistake here or there. So I always my the way that I like to prepare for that, rather than say scripting event eventualities that may or may not happen because let's be honest you know like 0.1 percent of the time it might happen yeah but I, my process for that and as as you were talking about you know how long do you spend preparing for a game if i've got a big game coming up i i do like to take almost a day to myself uh i, I like the outdoors i like the mountains if the weather's good get up into the hills by myself take the dog and um, and just think about the game and and what you know, you're just like what what might happen here? Yeah. Might Kenny McLean score in the last <laughs> minute off the bench? 
I no mean, chance. I didn't, I didn't, that, <laughs> that never even crossed my mind. But yeah, I think it prepares your mind for for anything. If if you do that, you're like, what what might I say if there's a last minute winner? And yeah. and you can start to get excited about a game almost before it's happened. And so you yeah. can start to believe that that things have happened before. I, and it, it just prepares your mind. That that that's all it is. And it actually gets you excited for a game. Sometimes you might think, oh, you know, I've had a lot of work on already this week and struggling to get myself up. For, and you're like, you know, the, everyone that's watching is fully engrossed in the game. You have to be. And so sometimes yeah. it takes something like that to really get your mind around what it means to supporters, to managers, to players, what they're all invested in. And you have to kind of throw yourself into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the fans will be fully invested in it days and days before the game, especially if it's a big match. So it's only right, really, that you as as the commentator on behalf of those fans are the same. So kind of on that subject then, um, I know fans of each club will have favourite games that Rory Hamilton has com- commented on over the few year, over the last few years. But for you personally, do you have any specific matches that stand out? Is it the obvious one from the summer, Scotland against Norway, or are, are there any others? I mean, I think I think we've touched on um, on a number of them. Actually, yeah. I mean, the the Norway game was incredible, and that that makes me. I've followed Scotland for years, um, home and away, and through the, the times when really getting a result away from home was almost unthinkable. Doesn't happen. We were in, yeah, we were in Oslo when we lost 4-0, uh, which was a great trip, but an awful, awful 90 minutes. And you do sometimes start to think, can I really justify spending this money and taking time away? Um, so uh, there was a little bit of almost personal um, yeah. glory in, in that result as well. Yeah. Uh, I I love because Hamden always has a special place for me as well, being a, a Scotland fan. Um, and the, I thought the Spain game in this campaign was pretty special. Um, yeah, and to and to be on the mic for that was was really good fun because that that was a statement win for Steve. That Clark. was that so was unexpected. Kind of, yeah, and and it was so comfortable. The minute yeah. when we were one up, I thought we're fine here. They're not troubling us. When they got the second, there was absolutely no way that Game they were done, coming yeah. back. Yeah. So I think, I think those, those two and being very recent stand out for me as just being really, really big moments for Scotland. It's going to be an exciting summer. We're just in a really good place. Um, when it comes to maybe the club side of things, uh, European nights for me are, are, and I think for for a lot of fans, they they're held as something a bit more special. They are, um, yeah, and yeah, and uh, my first one that I was able to do uh, was Celtic against Zenit St Petersburg uh, when Cal McGregor scored the only goal of the game. So the that one always sticks in my that. mind. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, and then we yeah. went over to St Petersburg as well and had. I think almost a week out there, which which was absolutely fantastic. It's it was about minus thirty-five. Yeah, I was going to say it was good that they drew them back then because St. Petersburg's meant to be a lovely city, but I don't think you would get a week out there now at the no, present we time. Wouldn't. 
No, no. So, so that was, and going to that stadium as well, just pre-World Cup, um, I think mm. at the time it was the most expensive football stadium in the world, a billion dollars or something. So, you know, those those ones stick out. You, you know, you mentioned the Lazio, home and away. Uh, yeah. Lazio games were absolutely fantastic from a Celtic point of view. More more recently, of course, Rangers all the way to the, the final of the Europa League was to me, and, and we'll probably touch on it later um, when we delve into more of the coefficient side of things, but yeah. I, I thought that that sort of thing was beyond a Scottish team anymore. In the in the realms of modern football and, and where all the money goes, 100%. Um, I, I didn't think that that could happen. And we were turning up for every game just thinking, oh, well, you know, this will this will be the last one, so you know we might as well make the most of it. So it, it, it's difficult maybe to pick out a single game from that. I loved um, Red Star uh, because they the scored so many so grades. early, didn't they? Well, well, I, I, I was I was meaning the away game. Um, oh, okay, right. To to be in a place like that, which really feels like not quite going back in time, but. A lot of football is a little bit more sanitised now. Uh, the yeah. stadiums all look very similar. This was something else, and you know you've got you know flares all around the place. It's intimidating. There were you know twenty thousand robocops on the street. Yeah. Every every um, traffic lights that you got stopped at, they would march across. It, it, it was amazing. That was that was something brilliant. The Leipzig game at home, I thought the atmosphere at Ibrox that night was just unreal. And then, of course, the final to be a part of that um, yeah. was pretty special. Um, so they would probably be the big European ones I would pick out. Um, I've been lucky enough to do all sorts of cup finals in recent years. So, you know, Celtic Rangers games always stick out because they're mm. big matches. I love a, an Edinburgh derby, an, a Dundee derby. Uh, St. Johnson winning the cup double. Uh, I, yeah, I maintain, and I think, well, I, I think I said it at the time. Um, I still think that that's the biggest domestic achievement in Scottish football history. The, the, the disappointment is, of course, there were no fans. So that, yeah, that's a real shame. Um, but, and, and for one other. Sorry, I was just going to say for um, Callum Davidson as well, it was obviously disappointing there's no fans. But obviously disappointing from their point of view that in Glasgow, Stephen Gerrard decided to go undefeated the whole season because I think he won the manager of the year, didn't he? When really um, a team from Perth winning both domestic cups, it, like that will never happen again. That's an unbelievable yeah. achievement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. So I, I really enjoyed that. That You know, that's one where you know a lot of people often say, oh, you know, you, you support this side or that side and you'll get as many conflicting messages after <laughs> any game. I I found myself, you know, I'm not a St. Johnson fan. I found myself genuinely excited for them mm-hmm. doing that. And I've got I've got friends that are St. Johnson fans, and 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 they loved hearing those moments as well, and and thinking, well, he sounded like one of us there. Because <laughs> what this is one of the great achievements in Scottish football history. There's a glitch in the Scottish Cup matrix. 
Queen of Perth. This is immortality. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is which is nice to hear because that's essentially, as a commentator, you probably have to be a fan of no one and everyone because hundred percent. You, you can't you can't be biased, but but you also need to have an appreciation for the people that are listening at home and when they're leaping off their seats. You, you, you can't be excited. Be, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, so thankfully, football excites me. So mm-hmm. so so that's a good. And, and I was the other one that I wanted to touch on was a league game right at the end of I think my first season with BT Sport and um, Rangers drew five all with Hibs at Easter Road. It was I when Neil Lennon, the, the, Lennon was the, the head manager it's on the airplane. Yeah, I was, just, I, was, I was just for a bonkers game of football where you're, you're really trying to look up at scoreboards and remember what the score actually is, and yeah. you, that's a real test of of what your ability is <laughs> <laughs> to see how you cope in moments like that. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. And as you as you mentioned these games, I can almost remember them all. And it's funny hearing. Um, St. Johnson fans saying he, he almost sounded like one of us there because that's the problem with commentators when the fans of the opposite team, so take take Scotland for example, if you're commentating on a Rangers game, they're all a lot of Rangers fans will think, oh, he's anti-Rangers. If we're doing if Rangers are doing poorly and Rory Hamilton makes a negative comment, I've seen some of it earlier in this season. Celtic fans then accusing Rory Hamilton of not being a Celtic fan or supporting another team. It must be really difficult for you to be neutral, I suppose. But then when it's a European game, quite rightly, you can be biased towards the Scottish team because you want them to do well. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and your audience is Scottish as well, so you've got to kind of think of that. So, I mean, and even aside from that, I want whatever Scottish team is playing in Europe, I want them to do well. I, I, exactly. I love nothing more than seeing a Scottish team, particularly against, you know, a team from a, a big league, Spain, Italy, England, especially, because because so much of our attention is, is grabbed now by English football. And I love it when, when we can maybe show them that we've we've got something that, that they don't. Um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of that is it is it does come with the territory of of the job, and you've got to blank a lot of it out. That's yeah. taken me a bit of time to, I would say, work out how to deal with things on social media. I used to maybe reply to everything. Now I've got it pretty strict that I don't see notifications. If if somebody wants to criticise me, then fine, but you're not going to get in my head because yeah. I, I found that maybe in maybe when I was a bit younger or less experienced that you did let it affect you. And it, and it would then that would in my, it would affect probably my performance on air and also my enjoyment of a game because yeah. you start to think, Oh, you're then wondering, wondering about, it. yeah. 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 Uh, and you, so you have to shut it out. People, people will be, They'll they'll try to judge and think that maybe your your, your decibel was point one higher for that team <laughs> than this team and all yeah. this kind of thing. It, yeah. it, a lot of, a lot of the time when when maybe you're not excited enough about a goal, it's because you're trying to work out what's happened. There might be like yeah. a, a deflected shot. Who scored? Yeah. Think, oh, is it offside? There's yeah. a, there's a lot going on. You've you've got a lot of voices in your ears and all that sort of thing. It, it's not quite as and you have to be decisive. 
Uh, and, and even more so nowadays where there's such a delay between the goal and us actually knowing it's a goal so even fans yeah. I've noticed they don't celebrate as much or maybe as yeah. vociferously if they think was he offside there and then there's a VAR check and then we don't know in the stadium what's happening and it just takes forever so it'll be the same for you you'll need to be scrambling about I take it you can yeah. hear like the, the VAR conversation so you know if they're checking it and stuff not always uh, for, right. for domestic Cup games. I think at Hamden we get it. Um, we don't for Europe, right? Uh, which I mean, I work in rugby, and you get the you hear the TMO, you hear the referee, you hear it's the referee. A completely different time. game, I isn't it? I have a dial for the mic, and I, and I can turn the referee's mic up or down, whatever I want to hear. We actually stop our chat. So if um, if I if I'm if we're talking about a decision. And the referee's about to talk to the players. I'll I'll put my hand up and say to the co-commentator, "Look, don't speak because we can yeah. now hear actually what the referee is, and the viewers can also hear what the referee yeah. has to say." I think it's something that football can really improve upon because it. it I mean, it, you talk about ones where you're like, "Well, oh, should you celebrate?" I definitely got caught out in Seville with Scott McCombie's yeah. free kick. I mean, I mean, to me, that is a goal all day long, Crazy and even decision. still, looking back on it. It's a goal. There's no you can you can almost tell with a lot of these things live whether there's maybe a reason to disallow it, and you can sometimes then be a bit, a bit hesitant. I did the Burnley game on Friday night, and the last minute goal, I was fairly certain that was going to get called back, so I probably didn't go as yeah. as gung ho on on my call on a last as, minute equaliser as I yeah. should have done for a last minute equaliser in a big relegation game. Um, because I was fairly certain that was going to get pulled back, and I was wrong. So, it, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it is trickier now. You're right. Uh, you you don't know what interference is going to come. Yeah, absolutely. So, I want to just get your thoughts on Scottish clubs in Europe. So, obviously, that's what I like to focus on in the page. You you've alluded to um, it's great when our teams manage to get a result against the top leagues because. European football has moved on so much in the last 30 years and, and Scottish football have, has almost been left behind. And you mentioned about um, Rangers' run to the Europa League final, how that just wasn't possible. It, it literally is. Well, it's not literally. I was going to say it literally is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but I've got mates that support Rangers and they've been to two European finals now and they're 35 or whatever, which is a bit mental. But generally speaking, it should be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see a Scottish team reach a European final. So how? Do, what do you think the, like the state of our game is in terms of the team's ability to compete in Europe at the moment? How, how do you view it all? Ah, it's... It's very interesting right now because we're probably at a stage where finances mean that we can't compete at the top level of the top competition, really. No, and and no you know we've, we've seen that the last two years, Celtic and Rangers were in it last season, Celtic in it this season, and coming by results is so, so difficult. I think if you... If you look, I mean, Rangers were were way off it last year. They, they were not yeah. even close. I think when you look at Celtic's performances over the two years, they've actually performed quite well in a lot of the games. Yeah. The problem being getting results 
when you need them. I mean, they were in a lot of games. You take out the, uh, the away game to Atletico Madrid and actually financially, you know, I at the moment, they should probably be able to compete with Lazio, with Feyenoord, Feyenoord with yeah. Shakhtar. They should be taking more points from those games than they did. I know they beat Feyenoord in the last game, um, but it was a it was a dead rubber. For it them. was over, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, so in that sense, they probably underperformed because you think you know Lazio at home probably should have won the game. Lazio away could have could have had a point last season. Probably should definitely should have won away to Shakhtar. Yeah. So they've left points out there. So it, so it's not that they they absolutely can't compete. I think they've had some good draws. Um, if you, if they if they get the really top teams, I think it's um, it's very very difficult to to compete at that level. Um, Rangers this year in Europa League, I think. Did well. I mean, amazing to think that they dropped points in both games against Aris. Dropped five points Beat. to, I think, the lowest ranked team in the competition. Nobody else in the group yeah. dropped any points to them. Yeah. And Rangers still won the group. It's unheard yeah. of to, to do that against the pot four team and still get through as winners. Yeah. And, and, and to win home and away against a, a very good team from Spain. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they hadn't lost at home all season and, and to go out there and win. And the, and the, the Sparta games, I, I thought that, that those were the ones that were right. If you get more points than Sparta across those two games, exactly, you're probably OK. And, and they managed that, but then still almost got themselves in a right mess because of, yeah. because of the draw with Aris. So, yeah. look, they, they've done well to get through. They've won the group. So, you know, that's that's as much as what you can ask for. Um I think when you, you go down to the next tier, uh Aberdeen, a bit like Celtic actually, performed. performed they really well. Played well. They were in every game. Mm-hmm. And maybe Scored a wee bit lucky they got horrible. Scored in every game. They got a horrible group. We mm-hmm. saw how good Pauk were from when they played Hearts in the in the playoff game. Uh Eintracht are, are a really good team. I did the game out there in Frankfurt and thought Aberdeen were were excellent. Really close. Probably yeah. it's it's the two games against HJK where they let themselves down. You know, if yeah. you, if you think if they they should have should have probably taken six points from those games, they should have beaten Pauk at home. But the, but the, this can't be what we keep going back to. Should have yeah. won this game. They nearly done that. Could, they could have done this. Yeah. yeah. Same goes for Celtic. Put yourself in a position, but didn't do it. So that's where there needs to be. Whether that's a, a ruthlessness or whether that is where teams from the more lucrative leagues have that ex- that added quality in the final third, where you know would would Eintracht have had a two nil lead against Pauk and lost three two at home? Yeah, no, it, you know not. it wouldn't have happened. So, but for me, Celtic and Rangers will they'll continue to be in Europe. Their level at the moment is Europa League. Mm-hmm. If they get if they get a Champions League season from winning the league, for however many seasons they manage to get directly into it, then then enjoy the finances. That's great. Yeah. Be a part of it. Try to compete. But Europa League, for me, is is their level, and they're both quite a similar level in, in European terms. For 
the others trying to get if we can keep on to a third direct spot. Um, I think we need, we need one to step forward and grab that and be the continuous third force. Yeah. So be that at, at the moment you've got Hearts have had a season, Aberdeen have had a season. Both had pretty productive seasons in Europe, I thought. And to to get used to playing Thursday Sunday, the schedule yeah. is. Yeah, you've seen how it's affected Aberdeen and it's, it will probably cost them being able to finish third this season. So, you know, they, they could do it by winning the, the Scottish Cup. The Scottish Cup, yeah. Probably less likely. Um, so it needs one club to grasp that and, and take on the extra, whatever it is, five, six million, five or six million bring million, in. Yeah. Which, I mean, that blows the rest of the league out of the water. If you're bringing in an extra five or six million then you have such an advantage, even though you're playing six extra games, you have such an advantage over your competition. So if you're Hearts and you're bringing that in, your advantage over Hibs and Aberdeen should be massive. massive. Yeah. 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 But it's, but it's getting used to playing European and domestic football uh, on a regular basis, which that's why I say one needs to step forward and be the one that takes that and does it regularly. Or, we could do with one of the others qualifying themselves, you know, but it's tough. We've seen how, how tough those qualification rounds are. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And if you think if you're then looking at a fourth team, so Hibs did okay in the qualifying round, they got through two rounds and then they draw Aston Villa like that. That's just yeah. a 0% chance almost of going through. So we, you need a lot of factors, a combination of factors for every team, you need a good draw, like a fortunate draw to draw the, the weakest teams in the pot or in your in your um, seeded category for the qualification rounds. Then, like you say, you need a, a continuation. So if it was to be Aberdeen again for Barry Robson, if he's still in charge, to learn from the last campaign for the players to take that experience and, and to move forward. So I think with the, the advent of the Conference League, there is definitely the chance that these teams can sort of compete on a regular basis. Aberdeen, like, like we mentioned, they perform well. They got a decent amount of points. Can they go that step forward and then finish in the top two and get out of the group? I think they can. I think, um, it hopefully will happen, but like like I've mentioned, it needs to be a fortunate draw. So we'll see what that brings in the summer and um, how many teams we get in the group stages again. We know it will be at least three with a, another couple in the in the qualifying round. So what else did I want to ask you about? I think in terms of Scottish clubs, we probably covered everything. So let's move back to the national team. You mentioned you've been a fan. You travelled home and away for for twenty years or whatever. Well, you, I don't know, is this um, in the public domain yet? Will you be in Germany in the summer as a fan or can you announce, are you going to be working for anyone yet? I've, I've, uh, I've got my tickets and uh, me and my mates have got the WhatsApp group with all our accommodation not sorted yet because we're not nearly organised enough to do that. But um, yeah, so that's the plan at the moment. Um, I, I, would, I would love for maybe something to come up but you know at, at the moment I am absolutely delighted to uh, to be going um, and experiencing for me it feels like my first major tournament because yeah the last year was I don't know it didn't it didn't really feel like it, it didn't count you can say that and, Euro 2020 didn't count I don't care what anyone says we may have qualified for the first time Hamden had about 12,000 people in it 
we performed poorly. Uh, nobody remembers that tournament. England reached the final. What more reasons do you need to, to forget about it? So, yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. This is my first tournament since France 98. I was nine years old in 98, and I can remember I kept like a wall chart where I, I mapped down every single score, as you can tell, a complete nerd. Who scored? How many goals did Ronaldo get? All of that sort of stuff. And I said to my dad after the tournament, what should I do with this chart? And he said you should probably keep hold of it because you don't know when Scotland will next reach a tournament. And I was now getting to that age where I thought I knew everything about football and my dad knew nothing. And my immediate thought was, this guy hasn't a clue. What does he mean Scotland might not qualify for a tournament? I'm now, I'll be 35 in the summer and this is the first tournament I'm going to. So I'm absolutely, uh, I can't wait for it really. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so we kind of, we mentioned there about uh, the draws for the clubs. How do you think what, what chances do you give Scotland of getting out of the group stage for the, the first time ever? Because I think it's quite a favourable draw. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the draw. That At any major tournament, it's going to be tough. And, and others will probably look at us and think, oh, do you know what? That's a, that's a favourable draw. But yeah. then they might look at the qualification results and go, well, you know, they beat Spain. They beat Norway with Haaland. So... Mm -hmm. Norway and Spain were the, were the favourites to go through in our group. I know we had the second seed, but everyone looked and thought, yeah, Haaland, Odegaard, they're 100%. going to be the two that are, that yeah. are going to take them through. So so Scotland were, the, in a way, the surprise uh, from, from our group. And the, certainly the way that we did it, which is just, um, it almost felt weird. <laughs> being qualified. <laughs> it was so easy. <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what the national team have done which is which you'd love to see it reflected in the club game but obviously I feel like international football is a is a truer reflection of the game now than club football because club football is so dominated by money if you have yeah. a bigger budget the chances are you're going to be successful you can you can almost go down a league table and pick them off by budget yeah and I, I, it almost disappoints me. I, I watch a lot of NFL, and uh, I don't know if you're still there. Yeah, you are. Um, I watch a lot of NFL as well, and it's got such a better setup to it that I know, I know you can't work it into football because they're all businesses and they're yeah. members of different leagues and associations and things like that. But the fact that if you win the, the championship, they say to you, right, next year we're going to make it harder for you. You have to work harder. To maintain your levels, and if you're a if you're a poor team, we'll say right, we're gonna we're gonna give you the the first pick out of the college draft. We're gonna try and get you better, and it, it's fairer for fans. Yeah. There's, there's nothing to say. I mean, I know Man City fans, for example, have had years in the in the lower leagues, and, and mm -hmm. that must have been horrendous. But but <laughs> you know their fans essentially haven't done anything to get all this success. Yeah. The club haven't really either. It's just it's just the money's been given to them, and they've had a bigger budget than any. They've done it very well because you can't make a mess of it. So they've done it very well. But I think sharing success. I think football's too quick to accept that they want Real Madrid, Man City, Liverpool, PSG to always be competing late yeah. on. And you're like, no, it it, it should be. It should be shared about. It's, these things should be cyclical, but we're now getting to the stage where it feels like it's always going to be these teams because the rich get richer. So to get back to where I was going before I 
rambled. Um, international football doesn't. You have to earn all your successes. And and that's where Scotland have made their way up from a pot four team to a pot two team to a League A team in the Nations League, all under Steve Clark. Brilliant. And to a force where they must now look at it. And I think I'm not a massive fan of a 24 team major mm. tournament, but from a, from a point of view of a team, a country like ours, it gives a great opportunity. Because you, you play all those group games to get rid of eight teams, yeah. 16 from 24. That is the best chance that, that we will have. And I think, I think we've got a top seed in Germany, which you would usually look at that and think, well, Germany at home, amazing team. First game, We've got we don't stand a chance, but they they've got a vulnerability about them at the moment. I don't I don't think they'll particularly fancy us in that game, seeing some of the results that we've had in qualification. So yeah, that's it's going to be fantastic. It's going to come down to right. We've been talking about Celtic should have picked up these points. Aberdeen yeah. should have picked up these points. Rangers did manage to you know away to Betis, but didn't against Aris when they should have. Can Scotland beat Switzerland and Hungary? Probably the, the two games. Okay, Switzerland's world ranking is significantly higher, but I would think that that's a game that, that we can that's certainly get. I would say minimum point. And then Hungary's the one that you look at and you go, well, that's another one that you have to get three points in. So can you deliver when when you have to? And that's where the clubs sometimes do, but more often than not, probably don't. So can yeah. the national team, and I think they've got a really good spirit about them. Um, I, I've, I've said it in, in broadcast before, but this feels like a team that does not believe in a phrase that I've hated for my entire life of glorious failure. Oh. You know, this feels yeah. like they have chucked that into the North Sea and said, "No, we're not having any of that. That's not in our mentality. It doesn't even cross their minds that there's you know some." external force driving against you before you've even kicked a ball we're better than that we, we should be better than that as a football team and as a nation um, so hopefully you know this is the summer that that, that gets uh, kicked into the sea absolutely and you can just you can tell not only from the results but the way they carry themselves in the interview Steve Clark especially the belief is there and he has built this up from a really low base it's such an opportunity so like you said 16 teams are going to go through from 24 you can go through with three points it might come down to goal difference at that stage but you essentially only need to win one of those three matches and yeah Germany are a Portugal top team Portugal didn't win any <laughs> exactly you could draw all three and still go through so Germany are a top nation but they can't, they're in bad form. They can't go and buy anyone in the January transfer window. They've got the squad that they've got and they're in bad form. We are the only group, I'll need to check this, but I'm fairly sure we're the only group that doesn't have a team ranked in the top 15. So Germany are 16th at the moment. Everyone else has somebody higher than that. Um, Switzerland, if you look at their qualifying campaign, the teams in that group, I, I'm, I can't even work out who the pot one, two, three teams were. It's just such a low-quality group. A lot of their fans are calling for the managers to go. I think it's a, a massive opportunity. And the opening night is almost a free hit. So if we lose that, we're expected to lose it. As you mentioned, we've got Switzerland and Hungary are the games where we should be picking up the points. But if you look at previous, if you look at even the World Cup last year, 
Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia and went and won the tournament. Um, I remember Spain lost the opening games in one of their Euro wins to Switzerland, actually, I think, went and won the tournament. Senegal beat France in the opening game. The opening game always throws up shocks. So I genuinely, and I don't know if this is just getting ahead of myself, I genuinely think we go in with a really good chance and Germany will not fancy an informed Scotland team coming to, to play football against them. I think it's also worth considering that for me Germany aren't going to get nine points in that group so you've got to think that you know Switzerland could beat them Hungary could beat them or they could get a point if we don't take something out of that albeit that nobody's really expecting us to win it it then puts you on the back foot yeah and so I think I think that's where we got ourselves in a, a bit of bother in the last Euros with the Czech game and we played all right, but but not really well enough to, to take anything from it. And if you get nothing from your first game, it's very, very difficult from there on in to, yeah. to you're always playing catch up. So, you know, if, if, if you, you might go into your next game and Switzerland have beaten Germany or, or Hungary have beaten Germany and suddenly you're like the team that we are now targeting is already off the, or has already yeah. got four points. Yeah. Like, we need to win this and the next one. Yeah, yeah, one win won't do anymore. But, but, I, but I do think that there's a, a different belief about this squad. I think what Steve Clark's created is very much a club mentality. They're all pulling in the same direction. You don't see dropouts from the squads late on. If, if they're not playing, it's because they're genuinely injured. Everyone yeah. seems to want to be a part of it and, and that's it's a shame that we have to say that but, but it has been something in the past that, that has Definitely. I think been a real problem with the national team but but you don't you don't ever see it now and no. it's very much how the attitude that he created at Kilmarnock and when Celtic and Rangers were in town then then he, he knew that, that they would give them a game and, and often came away with fantastic results mm-hmm yeah, it's, it's all set up to be a fantastic opportunity. And I just hope, like you say, we don't look back on it as what should have been. Oh, we lost the last minute goal to Switzerland and all. Oh, if we hadn't done that, we would have gone through. I, I hope the players can just grasp what will be a momentous opportunity in a, a momentous tournament. So if I don't um, hear you, well, I won't hear you because I'll be at the matches, but if you're not commentating on the matches, then I hope you're out there enjoying it as a fan and I'll, I'll maybe bump into you when we're out there. You never know. I might be sitting behind you. You'll be telling me to shut up. Yeah. Who's this nerd with more stats than me behind <laughs> me? Shut your mouth. Yeah. So... Rory, thanks so much for coming on. You've been a great help. I know you've um, shared my page and stuff before, but coming on to do the podcast, really, it really means a lot to me. So thank you very much for doing that, and I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scotland's football teams in European competition. Join us next time for more detailed analysis and all things Scotland's coefficients.